the mysteries of Gravity Falls creep into the non-animated world. This is the Gravity Bros Podcast, and this is Allie Fresh, here for some sick beats. Oh god. I hate him already. <laughs> do you hate him as much as Dipper hates Dippy Fresh? No, probably not. His hatred seemed pretty unbound. Yeah, honestly, I don't know if I've seen Dipper ever hate anybody or anything that much in the course of no. the No. Pretty justified, too, if you ask me. Yeah, we'll get into all of that because it is time for part two of Weird Mageddon. And we are going to jump right in because it is another banger of an episode with a lot to talk about. Is it? I actually didn't have the same takeaway. Really? Okay, well, you know what's interesting? I think we talked about this last time where these last four episodes or three episodes, if you don't count the last two as separate. Yeah. Uh, they have a lot in there, but maybe not as many like things ripe for discussion that you and I may uh, typically have. But sometimes I feel like we are finding things because episodes are less interesting than this. And then when they get really chaotic, we just need to make sure to cover it all. I think there is some stuff to talk about. I, I think that there's a couple interesting like conversation topics in here. But in all honesty, I feel like the summary of this episode could be wrapped up real quickly. Really? You know what I mean? Wait, that's not a knock against it. Did you not like the episode? Is that what you're implying? Um, you know, on rewatch, I actually would not probably put this in my top favorites, no. Wow, that's so interesting because I had the takeaway of, wow, this episode is awesome. Uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, that's they would be funny. Hard- that's going to play into the conversation topic I'm expecting us to have. Okay, very good. Well, then let's get into it. Uh... It may be part two, but it is day four, canonically, of Weird Mageddon and Gravity Falls. As a mailbox eats a squirrel, the giant Gravity Falls goat chews on giant rubble from all of the apocalypse debris. And a humanoid Cthulhu lurks largely in the background. Well summarized. Oh, did you choose a cryptid for today? Uh, I hadn't, but do you think Cthulhu is the one? Well, I mean, that one was just written by H.G. Wells. I, I think that one, or not H.G. Wells. Um, um, I, no, gosh, I can't I remember too. his name anymore. The guy who wrote the Necronomicon. Yeah, no, he's, uh, oh my was god. Was it H.G. Wells? I don't think no, it was. It no, no, no. This is wasn't. going to kill me. I, know, I just read seen... an H.G. Wells book. That's why I say that. No, I, we absolutely know who this is. By the end, we totally. have to make sure to remember. Anyway. <laughs> I'll, remember I'll remember it by oh, the end. Lovecraft. Thank H. you, H.P. Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Uh, who, by the way, the idea of Cthulhu came to him in his dreams, which could be a That's way creepy. that we may be able <laughs> to discuss uh, Cthulhu in um, in the form of Journal 4 later. But uh, we see Wendy's dad uh, trying to make a triangle stop sign for Bill Cipher in hopes that perhaps that will appease him. But... Yes. Alas, he gets turned to stone by an eye bat anyway, and so does the salesman who sold Mabel her pig. And the salesman gives us a great line that actually has heavy existentialism themes, where he's like, oh, well, maybe if we do this, it'll appease our new ruler. Like, assuming they're like the god, you know, the, the new god that you must adapt to in this world. Yep. Um, and actually, the, the and at first I was like, wow, is this intentionally super existentialist? And I wasn't quite sure. And then the ending happened, which we'll talk about too, which directly quotes Sart- uh, John Paul Sartre, which I'm really excited to talk about. Um, that was the funniest thing in the world to me. I don't want to get too far ahead. Sartre but... <laughs> was one of my favorite philosophers that I read in college, actually. 
Incredible. Um, I, I was thinking during that time, did they just quote a philosopher at random? Lou is going to have a field day with this. No. Well, and, and the way that it starts is funny, right? Because a lot of uh, a, a, a good, interesting part of existentialism is that um, you can't really there's there's the commentary of any any attempt at appeasing some sort of perceived God is uh, pretty much a pipe dream because you're just throwing your whim to the sky and you really have no idea. So you're kind of just guessing on anything. Okay. That Okay. So, the, <laughs> and, you know, like, Oh, you well, I mean, there are gods, a triangle looking, maybe if we make a triangle, they'll be happy. You know what I mean? It's like people wearing crosses thinking Jesus wouldn't be traumatized by seeing the thing that killed him. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm feeling like we're walking a line here. Uh, <laughs> So I, I, I'm not saying I don't have my beliefs. I'm, I'm just saying that's what the, sh the, the commentary and existentialism is. Okay. I can understand that. And which right. I agree with. <laughs> well, it is true that <clears throat> they are kind of doing this in hopes that maybe this is what our new God wants. And there's definitely yeah. some commentary in that. It doesn't work obviously because they are smited immediately. Yes. Uh, just like reality. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Meanwhile, God and his gang are having a rave. Yeah, that's my god. God being Bill Cipher, who has been having fun turning Gravity Falls inside and out and rounding up its terrified citizens and stuffing them into a massive throne of frozen human agony. Uh, and we just see this throne that is made up of all of these frozen statues that he's created from the different townspeople. Um, and he says, it's fine. They're probably not conscious anymore. Right before Lazy Susan turns back to life just for a second has a moment to breathe before turning back into stone it's pretty yeah messed up. it seems like they're not that conscious in my opinion right uh, most of the time I, but even when she comes back she's clearly delirious like she yeah know what's going yeah on. so i mean hey moral points to uh to bill cypher because he could just have them fully awaken and actually in he called it the throne of agony but for an entire like row of people that's unconscious it's actually not not great advertising Clearly, he's uh, the greatest I sin. I guess so. Uh, Bill <laughs> says that Gravity Falls is just the beginning, and now it's time to take the chaos worldwide. So he opens up a portal uh, meant to go from Gravity Falls to the rest of the world, I guess. And uh, as he opens it, it turns out that his henchmen are somehow blocked from entering. And we zoom out. He sees a dome around the rift. So... At this moment, he's realizing, okay, maybe this is actually more complicated than I thought. And you actually get the first glimpse in a while that Bill is kind of a little bit nervous. hes I'd say he's at least tilted. He's like, God, why can't I get out of here? I, I, I did everything right. And yeah, then he looks gosh, at his darn statue on his, uh, on his desk and he's like, you know, I think I might know how to uh, fix this thing. Uh, yep. Setting us up really well for the next episode because we don't talk about that again for the entire duration of this one. Uh, yeah, I guess not to the degree that we will next time. Uh, even that we do see them again. Yeah, we so, see them one time. Theme song plays, and it's still the, uh, altered theme song, which I believe is probably true for the remaining of the episodes of the series. Yep. Uh, and Dipper, Seuss, and Wendy have entered the prison bubble that is holding Mabel that we talked about at the end of the last episode. Yes. Um, they walk through this white room. And Dipper says the first step to stopping Bill is getting Mabel back, but we don't know where we are. Little bit of exposition there for you to remind yeah. the audience. Yeah. Uh, 
the ground cracks all of a sudden and they fall into a psychedelic wonderland. Yeah, I guess you can call it that. <laughs> Man, Lou is left disappointed. We actually aren't immediately there because first we have a scene where Seuss kind of holds on to Dipper and Wendy and is like, uh, oh, that's right. He, he says uh, he wants to die hugging. And I wrote, so I guess this is the real rave. Wow. Because you die hugging? Well, just if I'm going to die, I want to die hugging people. That's fair. <laughs> uh, the he, cuddle puddles are real. He holds Dipper and Wendy to shield them from the fall, but they land on a bouncy castle first. Then they hear some 80s music. Then the air smells like childlike wonder. And then they peek behind a wall and they see this psychedelic paradise that is from Mabel's mind. I, I don't think it's very psychedelic. <laughs> okay, actually, I'm happy to rephrase it. Uh, it, it, it more just looks like, it looks like a kid's imagination. They do a good job just making it look like, uh, I, it looks, it, I, I don't mean to be, it looks like a psychedelic paradise for people who've never known what that was actually like before. Okay, which would make sense for Mabel, I guess. No, it doesn't, because we've seen her have an actual psychedelic trip in the show. But one of the characters that she met in that psychedelic trip, who I think was Hiroshima, a big dolphin with arms, shows up in her world. Okay, I didn't notice that. That's hilarious. <laughs> Point one, Alec. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I kind of agree with you. I do, and I, I like it, for the for the record. I don't think that... I hope you don't find it disappointing that it's not a psychedelic nightmare. I mean, they could have gone a little harder. I, it's not a nightmare. God, I don't want... I mean, like, it turns into a nightmare towards the end. I'd say that's the most psychedelic it actually gets. Um, okay. But it's it's not like a nice psychedelic dream. It's just more like a kid's playpen, you know? Cool, it looks like, it I, looks like a kid's, like... It looks like if a kid was a really good animator, it would look like their homework. <laughs> yeah, and I, again, I really think that's fun. I feel like this it caps or it captures Mabel really well as a character. Like this is what her world would look like. Yeah, I don't think it's like bad on the choice of the show or the creators, but I guess I haven't seen the show in a minute. And when I went into this, I'm like, oh, this is the trippiest episode. And then I watched it, I'm like, eh, actually, no, it's not. All right, fair enough. And so I but okay, so it's me. an expectation thing for you. Whereas I'm like, man, I remember this being trippy. Oh, thank God, this is just a kid's imagination. I love this. <laughs> You don't like trippy things? Have you ever seen Yellow Submarine? That's a no. psychedelic wonderland. So I actually do. I do. Because, uh, you know, without it genuinely any context for me, outside of it just having a lot of really cool, awesome, random, pretty colors, yeah. I just think that stuff is fun. Like, I talk about in Adventure Time how I'll get whiplash from watching that show, but I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's sort of uh, what I think about. But... It, like, I'm not disappointed by not getting it to that level here. Like, I, I, this is one of my favorite episodes just because there is so much imagination sprinkled throughout it. It's not just the town of Gravity Falls. It's an entirely different world. In some ways, like, you know, we have our podcast where we talk about whether or not we live in a place. This occupies its own area completely that would be totally yeah. separate from Gravity Falls and is, in some ways, an interesting discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I I don't want to seem like I'm critical of the episode because of that. Um, because I don't think that again, like it's a problem. It's just again, I I I love trippy scenes in things, and sometimes I feel like uh 
like when it's like if somebody goes for like a trippy scene and it ends up just being like oh i'm seeing unicorns and dragons i'm like you don't know what that actually is like okay so you feel like if they go for that and they don't land it it just feels phoned in uh i don't think they're going for that okay i yeah, think they're really I, I just going for they're just going for imagination realm i don't think it's supposed to be very trippy i think if anything it's supposed to be more dreamlike Cool. which can be trippy but it's different because they've gone for trippy before and you know those moments have been great exactly like they can do trippy like the scene where uh bill cypher summoned for the first time and the trees have eyes and the color changes a little bit that's trippy to me okay this is almost classic cartoon like it sometimes yeah i would say it's more like that like it's more like ch more childlike animation fest than it is trippy sure and you know what's fun i actually wrote the word zany not trippy which i do think is more appropriate yeah i think that's fair uh and it's not even possible to write all the zaniest that immediately ensues so first of all they live on several times square which if you remember is the name of the boy band i had forgotten that and i'm glad you said it because i wouldn't need to remember. i'll probably ask you at some point again during the review to stop lights have hearts Ooh, and good cash. I didn't even notice that one. They go between stop and hug. Yeah, I saw the speed limit was 60 smiles per hour. Yep, that I got that one. one. Uh, there's wild creatures everywhere, and yeah. one of which is giant waddles carrying a group of animals that include Ducktective from some I of did, our earlier television I did appearances. See Ducktective was, uh, made a couple of appearances in this one. I thought it was cool. <laughs> Walking with what appears to be several penguins from the Club Penguin Disney-owned property. At least similar really? enough to make me believe that may have been an intentional creative choice. I forgot that Disney owned that. Did you know that they tried to make Club Penguin come back for a little bit? I did. There's actually, man, that could be a, a fun video. Maybe not from us, but some, I'd be, like, the rise and fall of Club Penguin would be interesting. Oh, that, there is a YouTube video. I've watched it. It might okay. even be titled The Rise and Fall of Club Penguin. Something <laughs> like that. It's, it's Maybe it incepted itself into my mind if I saw it. Yeah, I uh, recommend there's, it. <laughs> there's another random blue dog, among, dog amongst these characters that almost appears to be a reference to Blue from Blue's Clues, but that one's definitely more... Subtle. It would be less sure, you yeah. know. There'd be a trademark issue potentially if they got too close. I thought the penguins looked exactly like the Club Penguin characters. That's so funny, man! I loved Club Penguin. Like that was a fun it, time when it did get rebooted. I actually like made an account and looked at it just to see what it was like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm getting like light nostalgia buzz from seeing the coffee shop and the the like you know secret agent room and all that cool stuff that was going on. Sure. I wonder if kids nowadays have a different version of Club Penguin for themselves. We were also there for the Neopets craze, which I also yeah. have nostalgia for. Yeah. I still log into Neopets every once in a while. Um, but uh, I think a lot of kids these days do Minecraft and Among Us. That's very That's popular. true. Those are, and Fortnite. But I don't, yeah, and Fortnite. Roblox too, even. Oh, yeah. I actually played Roblox. Yeah, like we were Roblox. actually barely there for robot roblox kind of taking off but it's yeah. gotten a lot bigger since yeah yeah uh, actually i thought there were some pretty good roblox games that i was playing i like that because you can actually like invent your own games and create your own like service i, I think roblox was actually underrated low-key fair uh so sue says the world is amazing as xyler and kraz who if you remember are mabel's anime boys that she dreamed up in i think like 
the season one finale or one of the last episodes of season one where yeah. they go to Bill Cipher's world. Uh, they drive up in this cool car. Very cool. We got to make sure that we know it's cool. Very cool. Uh, <laughs> and they introduce the group to Mabel Land and take them on a tour. Now, the only rule in the paradise of Mabel Land is that there are no rules, except one very serious rule that isn't worth breaking, so it's not worth mentioning. Or, I think rather, nobody will break it, they presume, so it's not yeah. worth mentioning. Nobody would ever do something as preposterous. See, the, I, okay, I want to I wanna get this along to the, to the crux of the philosophy here, because... Uh, there's some, there's something very interesting that I want to know your opinion on as the Okay, do you person. feel like this is an idea that I already have to talk about or do you think this is something fresh? I don't know. I, I assumed that you would have thought of it immediately, but I could be wrong. Well, I mean, I know what I want to talk about through this episode. So we'll see if it ends up being the same thing. Yeah, we'll see. Um Dipper says, "We aren't here to party. We have to find Mabel and get out of here." Uh Zyler and Kraz say, "Ah, she's the next stop." And we get to Ice Cream Beach, where those same club penguins serve drinks, which Wendy and Seuss immediately take. Come on, guys. Um, See, this really does just sound like describing a dream. Like, and then I saw these Zenny characters, and then I walked into this random place. You know what I mean? But it's fun. You know, I I'm so here for that. Like, I love talking about it, because think about if I tried yeah. to uh, walk somebody through this who had not seen the episode or even have any idea what I'm talking about. It almost sounds like Buddy the Elf trying to explain what uh, the North Pole is like to his new family in Elf. Well, that was that was quite a comparison. Well, I I I mean it, that no, because that that's got its whole world and system of logic. This really is just like describing a dream, and I feel like most people don't give a crap when you try to describe your dream to them. Bad experiences. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, like, usually it's just random nonsense. I mean, I've had really sick dreams that have, like, full storylines that, that I can get into. But in general, when people talk about dreams, I think there's this idea that, like, oh, I hate it when people talk about dreams because they're usually very boring to well, me. Well, I'll just, I will push back on there being no logic because I do feel like this world has logic. And that's simply that it gives you what you want. And yeah. there is something to that. So... You know, Dipper reminds Wendy and Seuss, Bill Cipher created this world. You can't drink something that is handed to you by one of these weird creatures. Which, can I just uh, say, fantastic point. I can't believe they were in this world for, like, a minute, two minutes, and we're like, yeah, I'll just take some random beverage that was handed to me by this creep, crazy creature. I'm like, dude, are you, like, do you want to see stuff like this for the rest of your life? Because I don't recommend it. Terrible. I, I mean, come on. Wendy has been so good, and Seuss has now been, like some kind of a marauder <laughs> like I, I gotta be honest seuss and wendy don't make full sense to me in this episode like i understand that they have to be that way for the sake of like dipper and mabel's plot progression to forward but there was a little part of me that's like guys you've been so competent up until this point you know what i mean i guess yeah. at one point bill cypher does say it would take an iron will well we'll get into that actually i, I want to get into that I i'm teasing this conversation point because i think it's going to be hot so Xylor and Kraz says, uh, at the top of the tallest tower that is guarded by buff waffle guards, that yes. is where Mabel is, which is already interesting in itself that if this world is in some way created by Bill Cipher, that Xylor and Kraz have no issues with directing straight to the source. Uh, 
I, I feel like there's some questions about who actually created what. And if some, in some ways, maybe this world really is largely created by Mabel. And these characters do operate on her command in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, I think it's, actually, I think Roblox is a good connection. I think so, Phil, Bill Cipher created the netcode and Mabel designed the world. You know what I mean? Mm, okay, that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, so Which is why ultimately, ultimately, as the netcode designer, you do have full override controls. <laughs> I Yeah, um, man, th there is a lot of interesting stuff going on with the design of the world, which maybe we'll get into, maybe we won't. I think that there's a strong chance that some of it is, it was just written this way and they didn't think that hard about all of it. Oh, sure, um, for sure. So I don't necessarily want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but we'll see. Um, Sue says, hand me some syrup and immediately starts eating one of the waffle guards while Wendy punches the other one through its chest and some of its waffleness comes right out of its core. It was pretty funny that both of them were like, the moment that we've trained for, like someone actually like eating us? They clearly didn't train that hard. Yeah, they were not ready. Um, they were not prepared. The group busts through the doors and just, they start attacking these innocent creatures that do not seem to be fighting back whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, immediately run up the stairs. They get to Mabel's room. Wendy barricades the door. And Seuss picks up Mabel, who's sleeping in her bed. And problem solved, Lou. They've got Mabel. Yeah, if, if only our characters were that smart. That's right, because as it turns out, Mabel, realizing what's happening, uses these powers that she has to kind of make everything in the room float and stop her friends from doing anything. Uh, yep. Dipper's like, whoa, 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 we're trying to save you from prison. And she's like, no, no, it's not a prison. I made this world. Or she says, or sort of woke up here. It's complicated, but this is my home now, and I don't want to be saved. Yeah. She this is, is Mayor Mabel. It starts to get interesting. Yeah, it, it does. So she says, hey, you know, Dipper, once you abandoned me for that apprenticeship, I wanted to hide in my sweater forever. But instead, I woke up in a place that gives me exactly what I want. An endless summer where I never have to grow up. And now that my friends are here, you guys, everything's perfect. Low key, better design than Neverland. Not gonna lie interesting comparison which we talked about on expedition cartoon the yeah. pros and cons of neverland mm -hmm. um wow okay i actually really quick want to talk that through if uh, we don't yeah. have to spend too much time which is better a place where you genuinely never grow up that is presumably a real place or somewhere that is completely fictionalized i almost think this one's better i mean they're functionally the same right Neverland no is, i disagree because neverland it isn't isn't doesn't interact with the real world so it might as well not be real for time is frozen okay but neverland you can't just want something and get it it's still just an island with pirates and yeah you know it's problematic just, stereotypes of native americans and it's just this but without any powers so wouldn't you want to take the place with powers yeah of course yeah i, I okay so i feel like that's a close and shut case yeah oh yeah i i mean now, here's the question, right? Because we did talk about Neverland. And we, you and I have had conversations about... Uh, like, I don't want to jump the gun on this conversation, but we've had conversations about, like... Uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, ignorance is bliss kind of mentality. Oh, yeah. And this episode is all of that. Yeah. Like, low-key? You know, maybe we should save this conversation for the court case. 
because that's okay, when that's enough. when I'm gonna press you on it. That's fair. Let me just say that I think that actually the difference, which makes Neverland a little bit better, would be that Neverland, as far as we know, is just itself. Whereas this place, while it looks really cool and it does give you what you want, is also like an evil nightmare created by Bill Cipher if you flip a coin. So, you know, I I think the fact that it's actually dark, but is just covered in good things would make me a little bit too unsettled to pick this over that, maybe. You know, I gotta say, (laughs) yeah, like, the well, okay, we'll get to that part, too. There's there's a scene that Dipper goes through that makes me be like, yeah, once you see that, you kind of can't, you kind of can't relax anymore in this world. True. Uh, So Dipper says they aren't here to party. All of this is crazy. But Mabel says, well, don't worry. I thought you'd say that. So I prepared a backup Dipper with a more positive attitude. Meet Dippy Fresh. Dippy Fresh. uh, Fantastic, hilarious, almost 80s looking version of Dipper with these uh, skateboarding sunglasses and outfit. Um, He says... Hey, I'm Dippy Fresh. I love skateboarding, supporting my sister, and punctuating every sentence with a high five. Puts up hand. And Seuss can't resist. He's like, I can't leave him hanging, dude. Uh, Dipper says, you're dead to me. That was one of my, you're dead to me, Seuss. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Alrighty, so Dipper's like, oh, I don't like this guy. And that's just step one. Um, Mabel says, trust me, you'll love it here because this world always knows what you want. Uh, Dipper, now becoming nervous, is like, listen, Mabel, I apologize for the fight that we had and that things aren't great right now, but you can't stay here forever. We gotta get the hell out of here. Yeah, time to go. Uh, Dippy Fresh is like, hey, take a chill pill, man. They grow on trees here. Dipper is like, stay out of this, Dippy Fresh. growing on trees. Stay out of this, Dippy Fresh. Uh, Mabel says, hey, give the place a chance. Uh, she claps and all of their wounds are healed while a pudding cheeseburger flies its way to Seuss with its wings. Uh, again, wild stuff in my opinion. Gross. Why would anybody consume that? True. Like, I'm I'm anti-pudding. Can I just say- Anti-pudding? I don't like pudding. I'm fine with pudding, but you put it in a cheeseburger- yeah, that the mix doesn't make sense to me. I don't like eating something and tasting something else. Um, you know, like <laughs> what? So, for example, I there was a place uh, in Florida that I I went to once called uh, Burgushi. The idea was that it was a burger sushi place, and oh. they made sushi that was not fish at all. It was burgers. So when you eat the sushi, what you're actually tasting is a cheeseburger. And in my mind, it's not that it was bad, but it's like when I eat sushi, I would like to taste sushi. Um, I mean, or, I think cheese is disgusting, so that's a bad example for me. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> or a different example, frushi that is in Epcot's Festival of uh, Food and Wine. Fruit sushi? Uh, yeah, it's again, not actually sushi. It's got like um, just fruit and it doesn't taste like sushi. So you're, I feel disappointed when I eat it. Does uh, it have rice? I think so, but it's like... See, that would be that would be weird, because, like, if it's half sushi... If it's just, like, fruit that's supposed to look like sushi, I'm fine with that, because if it's... But if it's, like, if it's, like, fruit wrapped with a rice roll, I'd be like, well, this is kind of weird. 
Yeah, it's got the rice, and then it's got like a strawberry candy wrapper instead of seaweed or something. Oh, that actually but, sounds kind of good. I yeah, a lot of people like it. I don't. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm anti pudding. I'm especially anti pudding cheeseburger. I had a sushi burrito one time that was like one of the most delicious things I've ever eaten in my life. Oh, me too. That works well because I'm not expecting to taste a real burrito when I eat that. I'm expecting to taste sushi. Yeah, it's um, pretty much just a huge sushi roll at the end, realistically. Exactly. Um, so happy that we spent three minutes on that. Worth it. Uh, so Wendy starts to say, you know, Mabel, I kind of agree with Dipper here. Um, but as soon as she says that, in comes a car with all of her friends who she's been worried about and is like, oh my God, you guys are okay. And they're like, yeah, Wendy, this place is great. Let's go engage in some teenage shenanigans. I think they said it exactly like that. And <laughs> she leaves with them immediately. And she's like, it'll only take me a few minutes. I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. Where I get this is like, okay, well, Mabel was real. Why isn't it possible that her friends were there? Oh, wait, she saw her friends get taken. Well, maybe they were all put in the same bubble. You never know. True. Um, so there is actually a chance that those are real people, and maybe she's at least playing the long game to be like, well, I'll kick it with them and then save them too. She should have said that, probably, in my opinion. Um, because it, it really the way that they play it, it more seems like she's like, Oh, nice, the fantasy that it sounds fun for me. Uh yeah, all right, I'll just accept this now. Peace. I think the reason this makes just a little bit of sense. Because I, I think you're right that Wendy and Seuss have been shown to be really competent and smart up to this point. Wendy yeah. has some plausible deniability at this point. Like you said, it actually is possible that these are her friends who she missed and in some ways was traumatized by seeing them potentially die in front of her eyes. You know, yeah. she doesn't actually know what's happening. Yeah. Um, and she's like, wow. Seuss on the okay. other hand, is that what you're going to say? Seuss <laughs> on the other hand. He's seen, yeah. but But the thing is, Wendy is rational. So for her to make the mistake in a more rational way, wait, makes sense. Whereas Seuss making a mistake in an irrational way to me also makes sense because it tugs directly at Seuss's heartstrings. Uh, the context being Seuss sees this guy like a, a professional wrestler looking human. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Walk I don't know in. why the way you described that sounded funny to me. Like a, and specifically a human. He literally says the words, Hey, Seuss, you don't remember what I look like, uh, so I appear to you to be a pro wrestler with a face you once saw a hot sauce bottle, but I'm your dad. And Seuss yeah. is like, Oh my god, dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of those Seuss moments that I just laugh and I'm like, haha, I'll take it. You know what I mean? Like, right. realistically, I can't help but be like, dude. Come on. But this is a depiction of a cooler version of what Seuss probably really thinks of his dad to be. And the, the dream, like the idealized version. Uh, and I think that's why it kind of makes sense. Because, you know, Dipper even tells him, this is a trap, Seuss. And yet, this, this version of Seuss's dad says, listen, I was never there for you in your world. But over here, I can be there for you. And he asks him to play catch. And Zeus says, Dipper, even if it is a dream, I have to play just one game. Zeus yeah. gets it. It really just, this is what he has truly dreamed for for so long. And that's why this world is so enticing. 
it, yeah. it brings you in for the thing that you really want the most and just gives you a chance to experience it. Even if you are lucid dreaming in a real dream, you want to take advantage of these moments when they come up. Yeah, and having had lucid dreams a lot, that's I, I agree that usually that's something cool that you'll want to do. However, we never see him or Wendy like end their journey. They just kind of run off with them towards the end. That is true. So they don't really ever get over it. They're just like, ah, oh, we're just pretending we weren't here that whole time and we don't have an arc. Which, you know, it's a short show. But you know what? I'm here to be an honest critiquer, so. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so Dipper tells Mabel, these fantasies are not good for anybody. Uh, she says, well, you can't argue with the results. People are happy. Does it matter if it's real or not? Oh, uh, and here we go. Does it, though? I say it doesn't. Technically. You say it does not? No. Okay. Um, so I think there's a world where it doesn't. I don't think that is this world. And the reason is there's actual danger here. We see like, this is an actual like Bill Cipher nightmare creation with genuine Fair. potential to just kill everybody there. Okay. It's, but this is, this is classic. This is, uh, this is a very existential episode. The more that I'm thinking about it. Right. Okay, so mm -hmm. let's say that what you what let's say it says it gives you what you want, right? Let's pretend that there's not a limit on that for a second. Okay. And let's say they say, "Oh, well, I just want all of the Gravity Falls people to be safe in here, and then this will just simulate the real world and we go back to normal in the bubble." Right? So then you have sentient creatures that all have assumedly their own system of life and prospering that now you're um, you know, ethically attributing to that reality and you can't get rid of it anymore and you would just keep getting whatever you wanted because unless you decided to try to let the world play itself out maybe well but, i mean if that's what you wanted i guess technically that's what would happen technically i don't think that people like I, I really think you would eventually get addicted to being able to make the own, your own choices like it would just take one bad thing to happen and feel the negative emotion of i don't want that and you would immediately spin it to be in your favor even if you were, were trying to create a world that was as authentic to the real one as possible. I think it depends on who you are. And the other problem there is that this is now a world that is made up of many people. Uh, not just one person who gets to control it all the way through. So you've got to have Mabel and Dipper and Seuss and Wendy all collaborating on how the world works. Which actually has yeah. its own socio-political problems. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's what... Well, so that's kind of what I'm saying, right? So... If So what I'm saying is if you say that you are getting what you want and you simulate the rest of Gravity Falls, the Gravity Falls town or the whole world's population into this thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then they, they do take on their own sentience, right? They like actually become real people um, in the context of this bubble. You know what I mean? I'll say they'll probably still disappear if the bubble goes away. Um, but they do have real emotions and they are then functionally speaking real people. Okay, uh, I, I guess that is kind of true. Again, I I think that your argument maybe is more valid if we're suspending ourselves into a reality that is actually not so dangerous. Like, cause, Well, what's, what's dangerous about the world outside of what's going on outside of it? Well, mostly because it's created by Bill, this thing could implode in on itself at any time, and Dipper, at least, is always going to be hyper-aware of that. No, Mabel I mean, may that's, not know. that's just, that's pure speculation. It is, like, but I think it's no valid speculation. Especially if you see what Dipper no. sees later on. No, 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 no. I think that if that were true, he would have set it up to, like, explode the minute that they got out of it. 
I think you could logic your way into that reasoning. But that makes, what do you mean I could? I just well, did. Bill, it's perfect. It makes perfect sense. But Bill Cipher has not shown to be predictable. So I feel well, like but why would he just have it randomly implode at any moment? That's his, what I'm saying is that's as likely as our real world randomly imploding as well. I would disagree with that because we don't necessarily have a triangle demon in charge of our fate. Maybe we do. Maybe but, we do. You have no idea. Uh, at least in this that, world. That's the exact argument they made at the very beginning of this episode with them making a triangle saying, oh, maybe we know how the world works. But if you are in this bubble that has been created, you actually have the privilege of that for sure knowledge. You have the certainty that this was created by a triangle demon who has nefarious intentions. So well, yeah, I feel like that's a big factor. wants you to stay there. So as long as you stay there, nothing bad will happen. To be fair... If anything, you you have more guaranteed safety in this world than you would in the real world by a you long don't, shot. But we don't really know what he wants. All we know is that he trapped Mabel in a bubble. That's it. You know, it's possible that you have been trapped into being lured into this world so that he can take care of you as soon as he has a moment. No. There's no way. With how much power that he... Actually, you know, the more that we deconstruct this, this whole mechanism, like, obviously just doesn't make sense at all. Like, why didn't he just straight up kill Mabel? Um, I think if you were going to go with a plot reason that's not just it needed to be written this way, it would be that Bill Cipher is a mischief maker. He doesn't just want to win. He wants to have fun. So something like this to him probably appeals to his sensibilities. Well, at one point, he also says verbatim that this is the most diabolical prison prison I could have made, right? Maybe prison. he sees it as torture. Mean? Well, then that just means that he wants him. Well, sure. I don't think so. I think he just wants them to never get out. It could be. Um, it's really easy, right? If it feels like torture, you leave. I would still be very concerned if I was Dipper that it is not safe to be here after everything that I've seen from Bill Cipher. Like, so actually, I, I understand your general argument about is this world worth staying in? Can I ask, are you speaking literally about Dipper's situation? Or are you speaking more hypothetically? If you had an opportunity to be in a world like this where everything was dropped in front of your lap, like, do you feel like Dipper should stay is what I'm asking? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm adding like a little bit to the equation, like, because one thing that we don't see is just how, let's just say how sophisticated the AI is, right? Okay. Like, if you can actually simulate real human beings that end up taking on their own sentience, mm -hmm. right? then who's to say they're not real people with their own system of emotions and, you know, wants and dislikes and everything. Um, I mean, I can see that. Listen, I get the appeal. There's something actually really wonderful about this world. And in some ways... No, 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 we no, no. You're missing what I'm saying, though. That means that okay. there are real sentient creatures, humans and animals in this world, that if you leave and pop it, they will die. That will be on you. You're right. I think there's a mystery around... Actually, it, but the thing is, I they literally say these creatures and later the judge are, and, you know, a lot of the, the different people in this place are like, oh, yeah, this is not reality. In fact, it's like a crime to talk about reality. So two of them two spoilers, two of them end up being real. I know it's complicated. Okay, so, let's so clearly they can. They So what I'm saying is. If the AI is sophisticated enough and the want is sophisticated enough, they can generate a real sentient conscious human being. 
But did they? Are all of them actual conscious sentient beings? Like, I think that's... No, not all of them are, but it can do that, so you could simulate them. Because not all of them are asked to be... Like, obviously they create clones of Mabel for the jury at one point. But, like, those aren't... In, those aren't created with the intention of creating a fully fleshed out human being with wants and, you know, and everything. But you think if that was the intention, it could be done? Yeah. Because we see the other two. That's the evidence. Like there is a risk in the power of being able to just have whatever you want. A risk in the power? Sure. Because you are basically putting yourself in a situation where you no longer have waves. And as somebody who studies positive psychology, I see that actually that is a tremendous risk because like emotional waves sort of, you know, you kind of need sadness in order to know what happiness is. And if happiness becomes a pure baseline that never goes down, then what is happiness at all? Well, but that means you want sadness. You'll come to that realization, right? And, the, and then that's interesting. And then she would maybe get it. Yeah. So it's possible. Functionally, it gives you the exact balance that you need to achieve happiness all the time. But just because you need something doesn't mean you want it. Our, our brains are actually really bad a lot of the time at actually judging what we need versus what we want. Well, but and needs are based on a set of physical conditions that this world theoretically can remove. That's true. Hmm. Do you think that the world would be able to just spit you out of it if you ever realized that the only thing that you needed was to be away? No, nah, I could probably just create a reality that makes you think you're away. Oh, man. This reminds me a little bit of a Twilight Zone episode where a person realizes that they'll live forever and it's great at first and then they just become jaded by it because... You know. Well, that sucks because then you age and no one around you does. Or you don't age, but everyone around you does. That's true. You that think it would be different that. if everybody else was immortal? Yeah. Hmm. Because then it's not like you're watching all these people, your loved ones come and go. You're all in this, like... I mean, this this is literally what Christian heaven is. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I don't want to necessarily, <laughs> um... Just, uh... I'd say minus uh, the demon part, but even that's kind of true. <laughs> Again, I, I don't know enough about that to be able to say that that's true, so I don't want to generalize, but Fair. I see your point. I I, I still think that there, there there's plenty of reasons for me to not want to engage with this world. See, it makes you want to say that because you're like, no, we take reality, but would you really? Would you really? Uh, listen, a, a lot of the time, believe it or not, I was ready to pop onto this podcast and have and go with your side of the argument. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm I'm factoring in the reality of this specific situation. I do think there is a world where your argument it would I would agree, but again, this specific world. I don't trust it. It's it's a what, trust thing. Yeah, but like what I, I I'm saying eventually if you stay there long enough, it'll break down your distrust. And if that doesn't exist, then you wouldn't even know the difference. It's possible. Um because like I, again, let's say you're like, oh well, I want my grunkles to be safe. And then poof, they're there. They were safe. And they're exactly um, as they should be. Sure. That's assuming that you really would be able to understand them as being themselves and not a figment 
of your imagination, which again, I'm just not sure on. Like, there's a lot of unknowns here. The way that Wendy behaves toward Dipper in the next scene that we're going to talk about. Um, well, that's because that's obviously unrealistic. <laughs> okay, but that's the point, is we're getting what you want. So you're actually not getting authentic versions of people. You're getting the version that you want them to be. And that's not what if real. you want an authentic like, version what if you actually want an authentic version i guess you're, what you're saying is nobody actually wants that <laughs> well i i would yeah <laughs> that is what i i believe i, I wouldn't i think I they, think think they so. want it i think there are people that would take liberties but i think a lot of people would prefer to just have genuine human interaction i think it is very would. it's very difficult to intentionally in your heart of hearts, say, I want people to be exactly themselves, regardless of whether it is good for me or whether it appeals to me or not. I think that internally, our, our little gut, it tugs at what we want. And if Maybe. this world I, I reads think what depends, we want, right? it's like going to give us an authentic versions. I think people would think that about their enemies, but I don't think everyone would think that about their friends. Like, I have friends that I have things that I disagree with them with, but I love their take on things. And it's like, you know, like understanding philosophically the want of and understanding philosophically and doing so to such a degree that you like want diversity in your life, right? Because not I am everybody not going... just wants everybody everyone to be the same as them. I understand and I agree, but I'm not giving myself enough or too much credit here. Like I still know who I am as a person, and even if I have those cerebral thoughts. I still know that internally I'm a little bit selfish and I'm still going to be prone to the things I want, whether it's organic or not. Well, this, then you'd like this it world even better. feels like a bad idea. Um, but that means you want it to feel like a bad idea <laughs> by this logic. Okay, so it continues to shape what you want slowly. I, I guess... In theory, that's good. But again, we have Dipper's perspective here. Again, if if you're Mabel, I agree with you. Because Yeah, Mabel, well, Dipper just wants to get out no matter what. That's his, his MO, which is why it's probably not working for him. But he has a real... Well, I guess that's true, because he has the benefit of understanding how much of this is fake. It, it was able to get Seuss and Wendy anyway. Mabel, she yeah. doesn't even know how she got here. She just found herself in the perfect dream world that she's always wanted, but she doesn't remember that she stole okay, so the cipher or anything. Okay, so then, if you're in Mabel's position, not Dipper's, if you're in Mabel's, what do you do? Um... I think that up until the point where the group arrives and is able to explain what actually happened, I think if I'm Mabel, I admittedly would have a really hard time leaving. I think that Bill created a very smart trap. I would probably just think I died. <laughs> but honestly, that's a pretty good point because the reality <laughs> would have shaken so much. Yeah, uh, and I mean, this is such a clearly vastly different reality. I'd be like, nice, I must have moved on to the next one. Let's just take it, it and run. It is interesting to me that if this is Mabel's perfect world, that these three didn't already show up in some kind of fictionalized form. Because... Technically, technically, she did already have a prepped version of Cool Dipper. Oh, wow. That means that she didn't want real Dipper, which is actually of kind of interesting. Well, yeah, she but wanted... she's like 10. <laughs> but again, she wanted a version of Dipper well. that was not himself. The Dipper who was going to be the supportive sister and just... You know, that, but that's not him. It's so inhuman. Ah! Ah, ah, ah. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, well, but again, that's a 12-year-old girl's perspective. I don't think I would create a world like that. 
Sure, but who knows what world you would create? You know, I that would be it'd be awesome. I would love that world. Of course, because it's your version of the world. I'm sure I would love mine too, except it it would cause a lot of problems. Uh, it wouldn't though. <laughs> Clearly, it doesn't. The hmm. only problem, based on what this reality is is presented to us, the only problem with this world, by definition, are the things going on outside of it. Okay, which raises another question. Is there a sense of responsibility to try to save the world that you left behind if there's still a chance to do it? Yes. Or, and um, I think that's, that's complicated That to me is, is the big crux, right? It's like, do I return? Because you really don't know if the world's already over. You might be leaving paradise for nothing. Right. I mean, if you're just going by simple odds, seems like the chances of beating Bill Cipher's apocalypse are pretty low, admittedly. Right. Um, but you are Ford, but a human. They are gods. Ford gave some hope, though. Uh, you know, I think that Dipper probably. I can understand why Dipper thinks that maybe there's still a shot, and he's in a place that may be evil anyway. Like we have to take the chance here. Um, okay, well, let's get to the court case because this might help change the perspective a little bit, right? Great. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. So, really quickly, let's get through the rest of the plot that happens before that. So. Outside of all this, we do see Bill Cipher and his henchmen again, and he's asking them all, how do we escape the borders of this stupid hick town? Yep. Uh, and then he looks at the statue that he's created of Ford, and it's like, ooh, maybe someone needs to come out of retirement. Uh, and there's a cool scene here. We see the journal pages of Journal 3 or maybe some of the others flash over his eyes as he is considering bringing Ford back to life to help break this uh, portal open. Which, by the way, I still think is evidence that he actually would have wanted him on his team of people if he'd said yes. Okay, I think that's that's fair. <laughs> uh, but before he gets a chance, uh, his little keyhole henchman uh, tells him that Gideon let Dipper and the group into Mabel's bubble. This is bad. Bill is like, no, it's not. That's the most diabolical trap I've ever conceived. Anyone will give in to the temptation. He's very, very confident in that. Uh, and that gives us a little bit more context as maybe why. Thing. We don't see the long-term effects, right? And if it's like heroin, then you're going to come down and have like, like you can't, it, there's a fleeting high to it, right? Mm -hmm. Wait, and, isn't that a negative for you then in terms of living in that well, world? Assuming that that's possible. We don't see that because Mabel doesn't, like we don't, the thing is we don't see a fleetingness, right? It's mm -hmm. just constantly your everything's cool. The only thing yep. that brings Mabel back to reality is Dipper. True. Realistically. Uh, all right. So again, I think that the amount of knowledge that you have over the situation is still an important equation here on whether or not this place is worth living in or staying in. So for me, the reason why this doesn't make sense for, for Bill Cipher to have made unless it makes you eternally happy is if it doesn't, you'll just leave the second it doesn't. Because it does appear that you at least have the ability to. Um, yeah. I think that is a good point. But again, that's using a lot of logic for a creature that has not always behaved logically. Well, I mean, that's so, what they did. So we're using logic based on the situation that we literally saw. For us. Okay, sure. We get a little bit of a peek in. But again, if I'm them, I don't know that. You know, I, I don't uh, know. Bill and then Cyber's you have to burst the bubble to find out, and then you don't get it back anymore. That's a bummer. Okay, that well, based on what we know then, I'm not interested in what they know. Fair. Well, uh, 
we go back. We we uh we uh just flash on back over to Mabel Land, and we see a stuffed animal tree singing while Dipper skips a stone that happily bounces around the water. And he says, "Even my stone skips are perfect." Maybe Mabel's right. See that that's one of the things that that I think is not perfect about the world, right? Because, like, for me, if I can't get better and, like, actually use skill to skip a rock, it's not as fun. You don't feel the same flow in your wrist when you throw it. That's part of what makes skipping rocks fun, right? Doesn't that mean that the world is not actually giving you what you want, then? Because if you want is to be able to develop the skill, then it should do that for you. Well, it's Mabel Land, though. If it was Lucas Land, then it would have given me the ability to do the skill. Okay, but, okay, that's interesting. Now we're asking two different questions, then. Is there's a difference between being Mabel in Mabel Land and being one of the other people coming in. It seems, though, that those people can still get what they want, but they can't get it at the grand scale that Mabel can. Do you feel like that's kind of what we're getting? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I wouldn't be surprised if if Bill Cipher kind of intentionally designed it to lean more towards Mabel's wants than anyone else's. That is a really good point, actually, uh, because he's thinking about trapping her. Yeah. Yeah, he um, wasn't really intent. I mean, granted, he seemed content with other people showing up and that they'd get what they wanted as well. I mean, granted, I'm sure that Mabel didn't put school in her world, and yet we see it populate when Wendy's there because they want to stick a plunger on the principal's head. Oh, that's right. That's a really good point, too. So maybe um, Dipper's just got such a stick up his ass that it's not working for him. That's my theory. Yeah, or maybe... They just have, the rest of the group hasn't really had time or an understanding of the world to harness its power the way that it would need to be. But again, if they were able to harness it fully and have an equal playing field with Mabel, then it gets even more complicated because they're all going to be fighting for what they want, which is going to be different from what the other people want. And, you know, maybe they all create their own realities somehow uh, if that were to happen, which is (laughs) an interesting thought experiment. But uh, see, in that reality, that's even better. Fair. (laughs) uh dipper realizes that he could escape the horror show outside for a fun place with breathable air and then wendy walks up to him and we teased this earlier we we get a fake wendy who says hey i got bored hanging with my friends you know the 80s music is getting old you know what dipper what you said about this place is right you you can figure out anything you're so smart man if you were older you'd be my dream guy and Dipper, for the first time in this world, is like, really? It's like, wow, this this is what I want. Hey, can I say something, Lou? I feel like this almost makes the Dipper-Wendy storyline pay off a little bit. Is that going to make you mad? Oh, I totally could not disagree more. I because so don't agree. It just, it was so cringe to see this moment, too. Like, oh my god, this is a 16, presumably, year old girl hitting on, like, a 12-year-old. This is so uncomfortable to watch. But Dipper is so logical, and the one thing that has always been his crux is that he throws logic out the window when it comes to Wendy. And maybe some other things, admittedly. Yeah. Uh, But, I'm not saying narratively it doesn't make sense for how they wrote the story, but I still hate it. I think it's a good way to pay off the narrative, even though Dipper has learned and he's sort of moved on. However, and I will give him credit here, he's moved on enough to where he does not fall for the trap because I think he gets it. Like, wait, this can't be real. Like, I've at least had my illusion shattered enough to know that this is fake. (laughs) Um, And 
It, it's true because she's trying to tell him, hey, maybe in this place we can be any age we want. We can just go up to Mabel and ask her to make us the same age and then we're which, good. Which, by the way, is actually evidence that this is more Mabel land than anyone else because otherwise it would have just happened right then and there. He would have just turned 16. Really then, good point. Mm -hmm. And then the fantasy would have lived on and God damn, I do not even want to think about how that would have gone. Yeah, we don't have to. Oh, uh, oh God. Tries... See why this? No, it does not make the narrative pay off. It brought back terrible, terrible ideas. Wendy <laughs> tries to get Dipper to take her hand, uh, but he realizes uh, when he realizes it's fake. Wendy just turns into a bunch of cockroaches. Yeah, and there's a really creepy scene. This is one of the creepiest parts of Gravity Falls, in my opinion. This was a good. I one. love it. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, um, everything around now, him. What I will say, I could not sleep in a world where I saw that. Well, I guess I do sleep in a world where I've seen stuff like that. Just kidding. See, and that happened in what? Less than three hours? I, I, if I'm Dipper, there's just no way that I am going to be staying in this world. Who, who knows what else is behind that? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty uncomfortable. We really need to think of ourselves from Mabel's position, though, because Dipper's doing everything he can to dismantle the illusion from the get-go. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, Again, the person that you are, who you are walking in with, is so important. Like, if we're using expedition cartoon rules where we are able to go oh. in with the knowledge of what the world is, I feel like it's a red flag. You know, I think that's enough to disqualify it. Again, really? Because for yeah. me, I don't know. I mean, that's you're kind of just saying, like, do I live in a world that gives me everything I want 24-7? That's not true. You are living in this world that gives you everything you want 24-7, created by a diabolical super demon by name Bill Cipher. That only sounds better. Dude knows how to party, clearly. <laughs> anyway, Dipper says he's losing his mind. Uh, and it is time to get back to the real world. Uh, the town and the <laughs> All around, even though they are not listening to him, they can sense what was just said. They're all shocked including Mabel, and Dipper is suddenly attacked by the Waffle Guards because he broke the one rule. Mentioning reality. Prepare to be banished forever, little child. So this is uh, where this gets a little inconsistent because, like, even though this place is, like, created, it's still real. You're still experiencing it. It still has cause and effect. It's real. It's real. Uh, so in some ways. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess calling it fantasy is only half true because it is some manifestation and yeah you know it's more real thoughts, than a dream even yeah even our thoughts they may not be tangible but like they are real in a sense uh yeah so anyway a portal to their friendly neighborhood apocalypse opens up but yeah first before he gets kicked out we gotta have a trial so uh this is uh i think one of the most fun parts of the episode Mabel is ready to take this argument to court with all of the creatures and all rise in the courtroom for Honorable Judge Kitty Kitty Meow Meow Face Schwartzstein. You know what I just realized? First of all, yes, that is a ridiculous name. You know, honestly, Dipper probably should have just like let Mabel stay in Paradise Land while the rest of them tried to stop Bill. Right? She was but safer I think what there. But what we've established up to this point is that they don't feel that they can win without Mabel. Like, How selfish. 
<laughs> but it may be true you know it's like wendy said dipper uh, you, uh, that's sister, you have and it's true the entire show that is what we've seen that with one of them they mess things up and when both of them come together they solve the problem that's fair all right so i'll it, give you that one <laughs> <laughs> all right good uh so now we are in the courtroom. The trial begins right meow, as the cat judge says. And then have... it is. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay, yeah, it's the case of fantasy versus reality. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's literally what we've been talking about this entire episode. Right, and maybe we've sort of covered a lot of it by now. But yeah. the idea of fantasy versus reality as a simple concept is a little bit different than our feelings about this very specific version of fantasy versus reality. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saying that if it was fantasy versus reality that you would take the fantasy? Uh, it would depend on the case. Again, I don't want to go into a world that's run by a demon, but how, I mean, listen, a lot of people live in fantasy now. Um, you know, I, I think it is more of a common case of Maybe, maybe not a common case, but you know, it's the theme of blissful ignorance, but just on a much higher scale. Like, I am in a literal world that has taken me out of my reality. Um, you know, if a person is somehow born into a place where they have no idea... Actually, there's an old story of Buddhism about this, where Siddhartha Gautama, uh, the original Buddha, he was sheltered from all suffering because, you know... He was rich and lived in a place where they were keeping him away from all that. And when he was outside and finally saw suffering, he realized, oh my gosh, wait, like there's a world out there. And I do think, you know, it's possible that if you are born uh, completely away from everything and you have no idea that there is a darker reality out there, that you might be perfectly content because there's nothing to compare, just compare to. Um, but the truth is like, again, we have seen reality. So I couldn't just put myself into a fantasy world. Like I can't just turn my eye to the world's problems because I've seen them. I know that they're there. Like it would be irresponsible. And I mean, you're disingenuous I mean, for me. You, you're, I mean, you don't do something about every of all the world's problems. There's too many. Oh, a hundred percent. But you can't ignore them. Like, you know that they're there. Like you couldn't turn your heart off. You couldn't be like, I think oh. most people do turn their hearts off. That's how they develop a defense mechanism for the news, giving them a constant entourage of complete crap all the time. Um, I think that's fair. And I think that's reasonable. I think it's actually like smart and safe to turn your heart off. Because if you just had it open to every single tragedy in the universe going on all the time, you would just die. You wouldn't want to yeah, be here no, anymore. I 100% agree with that. Um, but to just pretend like none of it's there you know, to try to hide all suffering, to try to put yourself in the fantasy world where everything is Mabelland. I mean, um, theoretically, anytime you try to have a good time, you're doing that to a degree. Hmm. I think, I mean, you're just living in a moment and you're not thinking about other things. What's the difference? Well, this is permanent, you know, and I think that the theme of impermanence is interesting because Mabel, again, is going for this high all the time as opposed to uh, a world that's going to give her waves, like moments of beauty and also sadness, which is kind of what, where we actually are. Yeah, but I mean, how many people are like, how many people spend even 5% of their time trying to make the world a better place? Um, not many. Not many. I don't. I'm not, I'm no. not high-roading anyone. No, me neither. I mean, and I agree to you that, 
you can't carry the burden of the world. Like the, the best advice that I've heard is to pick a social issue that you really care about, put some time into that one. You can't get everything. So, that's you know, what, find that's, your that's actually what I did. That's why I complain about capitalism and the environment all the time. Those are the social <laughs> issues that are within my wheelhouse and my expertise, right. because that's what I've actually researched. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you've actually like put a lot of like academic work into that. So it's not like you're taking it from nothing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with you. But uh, again, I think that just trying to move away from all of these things and live in a state of eternal bliss is not realistic. Um, yeah. Or satisfying either. I mean, so here's the thing, though. Like, if you choose your issue, let's say, let's say you make, uh, you make, let's say you live in a country where there's slavery, right? Mm -hmm. And you make slavery your issue. Let's say you, you actually do it. Like you actually like stop slavery in your country. This is very unrealistic, but let's just pretend for the sake. Or of let's argument, say you right? contribute to it on some kind of a large scale. Yeah, sure. Can you chill for the rest of your life because you did the thing? Oh gosh, <laughs> you know That's what I mean. Boy, I don't even know if it's not that there aren't problems still, but like you stopped slavery in a place. That's a pretty big deal. Like. Maybe well, you I just think, earned that one, you know what I mean? I think your hypothetical situation is benefiting from being able to say, hey, we stopped this, and not the very realistic situation of, actually, it just took another form in six different ways. Yeah, uh, that's usually what happens. But I mean, that's, but at a certain point, see, that's the thing, right? That's reality. Like, you don't actually ever solve the issue with stuff like this. You may make it better, though, and... You know, I'd say that but it's then, up to that But then person. does it even matter? Now we're having a deeper existential problem. Well, it does matter because better is better. You know, if it's a little better than it was before, then that's a good thing. And But how do you, how, let's say there's a young activist, like, person listening to us right now. Yeah. How can we say to them, keep, do, keep doing it, if we're also saying to them, but no matter what you do, it's always going to be a storm? Um... I mean, I would say that there is personal satisfaction in trying to help issues that you care about, and it's worth it just on, like, a personal level. Uh, and I, I don't think so, because I think it's far more taxing than it is desirable. Because that's also, why I gave up. But also, <laughs> the more the more uh, interest that is generated by social issues, the higher aggregate of people are actually doing something about it. And just by sheer volume, the number goes up organically through that. And that would be a good reason to continue doing what you're doing. Um, Assuming and, that it matters. Right. Which a lot of the time it can. Uh, genuinely. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like 13-year-old cynic me would be hearing that and be like, so, so I shouldn't try is what you're saying. No. I mean, think about the amount of people that have made a difference over time. Like... We have I mean, solved we a lot of how problems. Many that have in relation to how many that haven't. I don't want to think about those numbers, to be honest. A lot of problems have been improved through the course of history. You know, more things have been improved than worsened. And that's because over time, people care about things, things get better. And then I talked about this in a previous podcast. Then as humans, we kind of start to look for more problems so that we can solve more. So yeah, the more people work toward solving things, the better. Now, alternatively, you could go to Mabel Land, where you can't solve any problems, but uh, there are... solved all the problems. But there are unicorns. Well, actually, maybe not in this one anymore. I don't think we saw a single unicorn after Mabel was scarred. <laughs> That's fair. 
Um, In a way, though, you're kind of saying that you get a world where you did solve all the problems. Well, no, I guess that's not true. You get a world where you just don't have them and you didn't solve anything. Yeah, that's that's more what I would say. And I think that how that appeals to you probably differs from person to person. I don't really like the sound of it. I would feel like I skated away. Don't get me wrong, everybody. I'm not trying to say we should all give up on our dreams and nobody should help the world and be a hedonistic piece of garbage for the rest of your life. I'm just playing devil's advocate because I feel like it's hard for people to want to try. And it's important to make a good case for it because people won't otherwise. Like, yeah. like for, for example, for me, it's about consistency, right? Like I care about the environment because I just don't want to be a hypocrite. And I do all of these things in my daily life to make sure that I'm as sustainable as I can be consciously because otherwise I can't, I can't in good faith to myself. Ah, that's the Sartre argument too. Uh, I can't say in good faith to myself that I actually like love nature and I love the trees and I love all these things that they've done for me um, because I don't actually treat them with respect. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, it's about ethical consistency. Like I can't live with like I know that the environment is screwed because humanity is garbage. Like I, I'm not trying to do anything about that because I recognize that there's nothing that can be done. Um, I just want to live my life ethically consistently. So then, you know, I do it that way. And then if it ever comes up, I explain to people why I do it. And then usually they go, okay, well, I don't have to be ethically consistent. You do whatever you want. But the more people that decide to do that, again, the higher the volume is and the more of a difference it makes. I And I'm not willing to say that all hope I is lost. I will say that all hope is lost. I do not believe that what you do for the environment matters at this point. We are so beyond the point of being able to fix it that, like, it's bad. It's a bad shape. And environmental that, scientists are just uh, are really clinging on to hope. <laughs> I mean, for, from a sociology perspective... You know, a lot of the experts that I listen to sort of say, yeah, do as much as you can on an individual level. But the biggest change would just be like a policy, different policies that force tons of change to happen all at the same time and require it as opposed to people having to make individual choices for something that doesn't affect them right now, which is not how our human brains work in the first place. Well, but those Um, policies, that's I mean, there's nothing that can be done. That's my whole point, right? Those policies aren't going to be made. Yeah, there's too much. That doesn't, uh, yeah, well, we're going to do that conversation. But like, <laughs> you know, in general, I think that if you're trying to be an activist to like fix problems, you're in the wrong field. You should become like a physicist or a mathematician or something like that. Because maybe you can actually like solve a single answer in your entire life. Interesting. But if, if, you, if you are doing it because you just care about living a holistic life that's, you know, done with meaning and with good intent and you actually put time and research into being you know ethical about the things that you care about those that's why you should do it and you can't get satisfaction from any other reason because you're not going to have any impact (laughs) and i hope that you do have satisfaction from that reason and i don't i'm so pissed at people for being unsustainable all the time no i'm saying (laughs) i hope people get satisfaction from taking that action yeah I, i don't but i hope other people do so why do you keep it up? Because if you get no satisfaction. I would, because I would be even less satisfied if I was as stupid and thoughtless as all of those other people. Well, <laughs> then you can't tell me you're not getting satisfaction. Yeah, I can. <laughs> all right. Being slightly less depressed and being completely depressed are completely different things. <sighs> all right. Uh, well, let's get back to the episode. <laughs> We've got a... <laughs> Quite enough of a tangent. 
Um, so case of fantasy versus reality. If Dipper wins, Mabel returns with him to the real world. If he loses, he'll be banished forever and replaced by Dippy Fresh, who Dipper hates so much. See, says. Dipper's the same. He just wa- he doesn't want that guy to be him. It's not about him. No, I'm just kidding. I guess the decision will be made totally by kidding. a jury of peers, which is actually just a bunch of Mabel clones. Which uh, theoretically is the best jury you could have asked for in this world. Actually, that is true. Um, they're not Bill Cipher creations. They're actually Mabel, so she gets to choose. Yeah, I, I was as soon as I saw the, the jury, I was like, yo, Dipper's actually got a good case here. Imagine if they were just a bunch of like, you know, creepy little kitten things that were, you know, Bill Cipher created to just make the reality that he wanted. That's what he yeah, should have done. He honestly. really just has to convince one person at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, so Dipper says, this may be ridiculous, but it is what I will do if this is what it takes to bring you home. Um, but she can only speak to her legal team now. So in come Zyler and Kraz, uh, yeah. the lawyers. They say, hey, everybody, the case is simple. Dipper thinks reality is better than fantasy, but reality is bogus, lame, and whack. Facts, and though. Facts, though. To prove it, here are some of Mabel's memories to show how reality has wronged both of these two. So we get to a little montage sequence. Second grade photo day. Someone puts gum in Mabel's hair just before she's supposed to take her school photo. Dipper doesn't know how to help and it really upsets her. Fourth grade, Valentine's Day. Dipper got no Valentines and uh, Mabel sadly watches as Dipper embarrassingly leaves to run to a closet. So... Dipper asks, okay, what's the point of all this? It's in the past. And they say, right, but your life sucks now too. Heartbreak, disaster, and broken promises is your reality. But over here, you have pug Sundays. So that's the case. They're making a pretty good case, man. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, they're doing okay. Uh, But Dipper calls Mabel to the stand as a witness. She walks up and... Dipper says, I don't have the answers, Mabel. I'm not cool like Xyler and Kraz, but I know you. And you might not act like it, but you don't want to be in this fantasy world. I know you're scared of growing up, and I'm scared too. Real life sucks sometimes, but you can get through it with people who care about you. And as the opposition argument, he takes the memory book. And he's like, remember how this actually ended? On photo day... She was upset she had gum in her hair. So Dipper took a razor to his own hair to show how ridiculous it was and just put it right over. And then she, in this memory, shaves her own head as well, which might have been a step too far, but uh, <laughs> I thought it's it was fine. sweet. What I will I say is there, there's a little part of me that almost, I, I don't know. I guess I've had a lot of friends that have like a lot of real issues going on. And there's a little part of me that wishes that instead of, him showing them that it wasn't that bad of a day. They committed to it being a really crappy day, but showed that there were just also good days. You know what I mean? I agree with that, actually. I really do. Um, yeah, because I thought I, it kind of devalued the the argument a little bit, but not too much, but a little bit. Yeah, uh, I, I can get that. Uh, so then we also see the Valentine's Day flashback where Mabel showed up to the sad dipper and she took all of her Valentines and made a big one for him that just said, for my favorite brother, something like that. Um, so Dipper says, Mabel, you thought you were living in a fantasy, but so was I thinking I could stay and be Ford's apprentice. You know, I don't want to spend my teens cooped up in a lab coat. 
So he says he doesn't know what the future holds, but whatever it is, we'll do it together. I'm not taking the apprenticeship. We have made it this far together. It's time to go back, beat Bill, and grow up together too. And congratulations, Dipper. You were just successfully emotionally manipulated to not pursue your dreams in an extremely elaborate way. Good job, both Mabel and Bill. <laughs> and Mabel, I guess, in some ways was manipulated to leaving her perfect world. Yeah, I know, right? Oh my god, you're right. That's terrible. Wait, you're That's a philosophy terrible. major. Your whole thing is arguments and getting people to change their mind. Is that not just pure manipulation by that logic? Philosophy cares about logic. Emotional manipulation is not logic. That's using shameless tactics that revolve around make like guilt and other like negative emotions to try to get people to do what you say, even though they don't believe in it. Okay, I dare not go down this path, but I will anyway. Then what do you <laughs> think of ethos, pathos, and logos as concepts? If you're a well, philosopher, I, al I also got a degree in marketing. That's what I got my master's in. Okay, marketing is also manipulation, largely. Yeah, that's what uses like. The, it's been a while since I've been in school. Whatever the emotional one is, pathos. E ethos. Oh wait, ethos, maybe it whatever. is pathos. I you, no, you're I right. Sorry, remember. it's pathos. You were right. <laughs> um, it's usually I think shameless and terrible. Honestly, it's very okay. difficult to do in a tactful way. I mean, you can you can use both. And in fact, I don't I don't think that an I don't think an appeal to emotion appeal to emotion is literally a fallacy in logic. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, because it's not Logos, which is considering the appeal to logic. Yeah. And then Ethos but, is an appeal to ethics, if y'all are trying to keep track. Uh, I wouldn't be so sure about that. Oh, I was pretty sure that's how it is, but I am not the philosopher, so don't listen to me. Yeah, I, it gets more complicated than that. It's it's the kind of thing where, like, there's whole subcategories and subdivisions of all of these things when you actually get into it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like existentialism has like 50 different branches of existentialism on the inside. Okay. Um, well, anyway, uh, they have an awkward sibling hug, or as Mabel says, a sincere sibling hug, which is a nice way to close that loop. Uh, uh, they hug and a wave goes through Mabel land. Her power stops working because her reign over the land is over. And suddenly everything around her turns back into the nightmare that it actually is. Uh, yeah. Interesting thing, they run out with Susan and Wendy to reach Waddles. And I didn't realize till this point, Waddles actually is real, I guess. Yeah. That is Waddles, but he's Waddles? Bigger. Yeah, I also had questions about that. <laughs> I'm guessing I, Mabel knew that it knows. was Waddles. I mean, Waddles got turned into a bus-sized Waddles, though. So, like, again, I, I think that there was some element of this world that had an impact on reality. Like, if the AI was good enough and if Mabel's desires were strong enough, it could make it real in, sure, in I mean, not a bill-controlled way. Mabel grabs a knitting needle on this ride and literally uses it to stab the outside of the portal to get out, which clearly, it worked. Like, it wasn't such a figment of her imagination that it just vanished into her hand. <laughs> you know what's awkward? If Dipper had, or if, uh, if Bill Cipher had just made the bubble with a stronger outside material, mm -hmm. problem solved, they would have never gotten out. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Pretty convoluted plan there, bud. You could have just, like, you know, used titanium or something <laughs> with all this crazy stuff you're doing. But, you know, okay, just let it pop like a bubble. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, and God. With, with that, they're back home. Uh, Mabel appreciates Dipper, and she does say, I won't get in your way if you really want to take the apprenticeship. But he meant it. Um, 
Mabel admits, okay, I, I was nuts, but the real world can't be that bad. And they walk into the apocalypse that Bill Cipher has created and wonder if he has already won. Now, we're already running late on this episode, so I won't go into this argument. But theoretically, theoretically, this world has less problems than it did before he took it over. Okay, you're right. We better not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> because everybody's frozen in stone. Now there's no suffering. Uh, well, not everybody, because the group walks to the mystery shack, oh, yeah. and as they reach for the door, they hear a noise, and when they prep weapons and walk inside, it is Grunkle Stan and the rest of the surviving Gravity Falls citizens and creatures, and it's a ragtag group for sure. I I'm totally joking on that last argument, everybody. I I'm not advocating. I'm not that much of a villain, I promise. <laughs> Do you see yourself as the villain of this podcast? You're the Bill Cipher, and I'm the uh, Dipper and Mabel. I mean, if one of us has to be, it's definitely gotta be me. See, you are way too goody-two-shoes to be the villain, unless we're doing some Stepford Wives <laughs> Goody-two-shoes, how dare you. Uh... <laughs> I'm wearing a demon on my shirt right now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we are. We did talk about demons in Journal 4 last week through the context of Bill Cipher and his henchmen, so... Oh, yeah, that's right. That was my introduction. That's, like, one of the only ones that I brought to the table. Well, maybe we should rename the podcast Angels and Demons and see how that plays. <laughs> oh, God. I think we'll get uh, a different audience base that'll be even more pissed at my opinions. So, in the next episode, we're going to get more into the surviving... Uh, citizens who have made it out without being frozen I, I think it's interesting the creative choices that they made of who to include there but i i think it's going to be more interesting to talk about when we actually see what they do uh so post-credit scene <laughs> we can't get away from discuss you thought that this one didn't have a lot to talk about uh <laughs> Sarger, my homie, one of my favorite philosophers of all time. Let's go. Xyler and Kraz, who have made it back to the world out of Mabelland, uh, they're wondering if this is reality. And one of them says, is it Jean-Paul Sartre? Is it's technically, it's French, so it's Sartre. Got it. Postulated that every ex... Every ex... Wait, dang it. I hit when I make a typo. Is I it, didn't write it down. Oh, I, I got it. <laughs> Every existing thing is born without reason, yeah. prolongs itself out of weakness, and dies by chance. Totally righteous, bro! Yeah. How do you feel about that line? I freaking love... I, I love, dude. There are, there are a few philosophers. Because the thing... I mean, in the philosophy degree that I got at this like liberal arts school, you know, I mean, you, you read the things and you talk about it, and you decide what you agree with. You know, and usually I find things that I do and don't agree with with every philosopher. And there are things that I don't agree with with Sartre, but I agree with the most of Sartre than most other philosophers that I've read. Because, and this is the difference between existentialism and nihilism, right? Nihilism is like, nothing has meaning. There is no meaning, right? Which existentialists are like, well, that's a bold claim. You just don't know what's going on. You know, you're just born into a world of randomness. We don't know what's going on, and the best way to have a life is to ascribe meaning to the limited experiences that you have. Um, That's existentialism? Yeah, I mean, I'm boiling it down, like, really, really, really nitty-gritty, but generally speaking, yeah. Okay. Existential, if we're taking, like, if, if, we're, if we're thinking about it theologically, right, 
nihilism is there is no god if we're thinking about that and uh existentialism is we have no idea what's going on and even postulating is very likely a waste of time because you need to create meaning around the realities that you can postulate one of which is not god so Sartre is existentialist, not yeah. nihilist, is what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because from that quote, I almost get more nihilism. He says, everything's born without reason, prolongs itself out of weakness, and dies by chance. Isn't that assuming that... No, I mean, that's just a... I mean, that's just a... That's just that's just true, isn't it? Perhaps. But I feel like the idea that we don't know what's going on perhaps leaves like the slightest door open for things to not die by chance. Like maybe not everything is by chance and we just don't know. Well, I mean, that's why. Wait, say that last part again. The the quote? No, no, no. The, the, what you just said about chance. Um. Oh, well, I guess, you know, I'm thinking that if there's always a chance that anything is possible and we just have no idea, then to say that something dies by chance is making a bit of an assumption. Well, I mean, not dies by chance in the sense that there isn't a reason that you died. Like, obviously, there's always a cause of death. You know what I mean? It's just saying right. the fact that you die has no more greater meaning than the fact that you were born. Sure. I mean, would you say that existentialism definitely doesn't believe that there's any, like, choreography going on in terms of what happened? Like, they, it doesn't, no. they wouldn't believe in fate. Well, fate, oh God, fate gets tricky. You would want to read, um, Sartre doesn't talk as much, well, the stuff that I read, he didn't talk quite as much. Well, I guess not, he did talk about fate. Um, actually, if anything, I would say the exact opposite. They would say that fate, depending on how you're defining it, is necessary, right? Okay. You have some fates that are guaranteed, right? Are you sure. going to Mars? No. You personally, yeah, that's your fate. You can't go to Mars. There's, there's no reality, there's nothing written into your code that allows you to go to Mars. You know what I mean? So that's your fate. You can't go to okay. Mars in this life. What Sorry. if by the end of my lifetime, they have figured out how to get people to Mars on vacation trips? Then the chance of you going to Mars was in your fate. That's why most okay. existentialists don't talk about fate, because it's just kind of stupid. <laughs> okay, I, I understand. <laughs> because you could say every, like, fate is... Fate is, I don't want to think about there being choice, right? Because ultimately fate versus choice is just like, do we make decisions? Is the, because we have the experience of making decisions, right? Yeah. So if you're phenomenolog phenomenologist, which is kind of a version, like, there's different people, different existentialists believe different things, but one of those differences is considered phenomenology, which is you believe in your experiences, right? Mm -hmm. So therefore you have the experience of choice. Therefore you believe that choice is real because you experience it to be real. Right. That's interesting. You, in yeah. you inhale oxygen and see a blue sky and you assume that those things are real, even though maybe other organisms experience it differently from you. That's interesting. You know what I mean? Like we're humans that see the sky as blue. So we call it blue, even though an entire different species of animal doesn't see it as blue. So to them, it's not blue. We still say the sky is blue and consider it a real statement, even though it's not real in of itself. There's nothing real in of itself because everything is relative. Everything's perception. Yeah. Every every single thing that exists, exists co-determined by the things that are perceiving it and the things that are having perception around it. Okay. Well, can we, can we try to transition this conversation right into Journal 4? Um, yeah. 
Hell yeah. Because I think it's not a one-to-one thing, but it's still kind of theoretical concepts. Yeah. We talked about how H.P. Lovecraft created the creature Cthulhu when he saw it in a dream. <laughs> Are we really and doing <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry. That's delightfully absurd. That's why absurdists are fun to read. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, Lou, about... What do I want to know about? I don't think that anybody's calling Cthulhu a cryptid. But I no. do think that the idea of dreams having this meaning beyond what our brains can comprehend is an interesting topic. And I don't know if we've talked about dreams. Um, yeah. I don't think if I've mentioned dreams at all, it's been under the guise of like, maybe aliens can manifest in our dreams. Are we just talking about dreams in general? Like are dreams real? No, I think that we're talking about can, can dreams mana. Hmm. How do I word I this? I was going to say Santa Claus for today because of this conversation. Uh, we all know Santa Claus is real and we're not going to uh, go down the path of Santa Claus. My so gosh. in terms of dreams, though, I'm wondering, could we have a real symbolic message come to us for a dream that is not random? That is not just our brains configuring a bunch of objects. Like, is there... I think symbolism is the only option if it is random. Okay. Well, I mean, we can create symbols out of anything. That's what symbolic interactionism is in sociology. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If it's if it's if it's if if dreams are purely random, which I don't think they are, then the only thing that you can draw from it is symbol symbolism because you're just okay, but that's describing what I'm meaning from nothing. I think that we are asking are dreams random or is there something deeper to them? And if there's something deeper to them, that's what we're rating. I mean, I think that I've had some experiences that lead me to believe that there are dream experiences that you can have where you're in a very real place. Okay. Um, the current model of psychology doesn't agree with that. And I disagree with that because I'm a phenomenologist and I believe in my experiences fundamentally. Um, sure, I understand that. So I've, we're thinking I about have... dreams as a... Um as a spiritual experience to say. All right, let like me that. tell you this. I, I'm yeah. not, I'm not being uh, analogous to this. This was a straight up real lucid dream that I had. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I went into this dream with like, I, I, I woke, so I, I was, I was dreaming and like some, whatever random dream I woke up and I have like been really interested in dreaming. Feel free not to believe this. I don't care. Um, but I swear to God, this is exactly what I experienced. Um, swear to the god that i don't believe in um, but uh so i i went to sleep i like closed my eyes flat on my back and i'm like okay i want to go back into this dream and i immediately was 100 lucid in a dream when i uh i guess woke up in the dream i was dreaming um and i was sitting in the back of a truck and the truck was driving in the dark somewhere on its dirt road right and i remember i'm like okay you're dreaming you know that you're dreaming feet and i've done this like the first few times i ever was had lucid dreams the first thing i would do is try to find someone to have sex with because i was like 12 or 13 or something and i would just have like, <laughs> you know stupid middle schooler brain but this was when i was actually an adult and i wanted to like do something meaningful with this experience right <clears throat> so i thought to myself like oh my gosh okay you're dreaming what are you gonna do i'm like first take it in to, like just like you would in reality when you're trying to have a real like really in the moment moment you know like be here now kind of stuff just be super mindful i'm like 
breathe in the air. Feel the cold steel of the truck. Feel the tires moving on the dirt beneath you. It was the most real experience that I could possibly explain. It's just as real as what I'm seeing and feeling right now, if not more so because I was paying so much attention. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember I was like, okay, this, like, I, I looked at the sizing of the truck. I looked at the dimensions. I looked at the shading of the lights and how it was dark and how the lighting was coming in from the stars from outside. And it all looked so unbelievably complete and real. There was not a single sense out of place, right? And then I stepped out of the back of the truck and I was like, and you know, the the truck came to a stop and I walked out the back and it drove away. I didn't look, I didn't think to look at the driver, which was really stupid of me. Um, But uh, I thought to myself, like, I I just see this dirt road, like maybe a town in the distance. And it was a beautiful starry night. Right. And I think to myself, like, okay, um, I'm still dreaming. I haven't woken up or anything. Usually in a lucid dream, you would like wake up in shock or something by this point, but I didn't. So I'm like, I'm just going to sit here and see what happens. I'm just going to sit down and watch the universe. So I sat down in Lotus. I did my meditative pose and I'm not joking you. I looked up at the stars and a light, one of the star lights in the sky shot out of the sky toward me, landed in front of me and started humming like and there was just this like white orb of light that landed right in front of me and was just pulsing this like super warm loving feeling towards my face right and that was too much for me that had me go and i woke up and i literally i woke up and i was like god damn it go back to sleep go back to sleep go back to sleep and i couldn't i could not i was too stimulated after that experience and i could not fall back asleep i immediately wrote it all down in my dream journal Um, and if you're going to tell me that the human mind is random and that all of your dreams are just a random accumulation of things, like I I just say, there's literally no way I I felt myself interacting in a real world. And if it was totally random, that world couldn't have been stable for even a second. Well, that's, that's fascinating. And thank you for sharing for me. I feel like the word random wouldn't even be one that I would feel super comfortable using because even if it's all psychology, which I probably subscribe to, but I definitely have some room for imagination open on myself for this one. Um, I still think that, uh, you know, the psychology behind it is extremely unexplored. Like there's so much we don't know or understand about dream science that it makes it one of the most fascinating topics for me. Oh, same. I'm so fascinated by it if I really delved into the sciences, it is something that I would want to get really involved with. And it's because it's something so hard to research. You can't really get inside somebody's brain. Maybe one day science will find a way to kind of be able to like put something on somebody's head and see what they're dreaming, but not today. We're we're actually, there are some studies. I I do keep up on this stuff because I'm really fascinated by it. Um, Mm -hmm. And just to, I'm just going to be honest. I, I read this study on psychedelic drugs And they had somebody take some and go into an MRI machine and they found out that what was happening is, so you know how we experience our senses? Like Mm -hmm. you have sight, smell, the senses, you know, the ones. Um, So, and and they're, they're, they're not completely separate, right? Like your, your sense of uh, taste and smell are very linked specifically. Right. Mm -hmm. So they found out that when you were on these psychedelics, um, it's not very consistent, but your, Uh, the organization of your senses gets crossed and your different senses communicate with each other 
when they hadn't previously. So that gives the phenomenon of seeing sounds or tasting colors. Um, that's why that happens. And it makes it, it, it introduced to the psychological model. And y'all can look this up. I'm not making this up. I read these in scientific journals, um, peer-reviewed scientific journals, which means it's definitely real. It doesn't mean it's real. You should still do your own research. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in what it introduced to the psychological model is that, okay, these experiences people aren't ha are having are not purely just hallucinations and non-real. Actually, they are experiencing reality just in a way that our regular order of senses aren't experiencing it. So theoretically, if, it's, if we're going to apply that logic to dreams, there are a lot of things that we might be experiencing in dreams that could be real that our awake consciousness just isn't designed to be able to experience for the sake of evolution. You know what I mean? Because if you saw a bunch of weird, trippy stuff going on all the time, it wouldn't be very productive towards surviving, you know? Lou, I'm going to miss this podcast. <laughs> I know, me too. I'm sorry, everyone. I, I probably shed the light a little too much on what I think in this podcast, honestly, but I'm really glad we've been doing it. You know what? Even if I am not on the same page with you about everything, I love hearing your thoughts. And I think it's pretty awesome that you and I, despite years of growing up with slightly different perspectives, have been able to be so close and still have dynamic discussions and be comfortable disagreeing. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I, it's probably dangerous how comfortable I am talking to you on this show. <laughs> Well, we've made it this far. You That's know, true. I, hey, if anyone's been sticking along, uh, I appreciate it. And I'm uh, glad that you either enjoy my insanity or don't think that I'm insane. Either are, are great for me. <laughs> yeah, at the very least, I find you entertaining. Yeah, um, at the, yeah, and, or just entertaining, whatever works, you know. As long I, as you're not like, offended we, by the things that I believe, because that would make me sad. Because I'm actually not trying to offend anybody, even though it might right, sound I mean, like socially, it sometimes. Yeah. Socially, I think that we agree on probably most things, but like yeah. we can really get into the weeds with stuff and I just find it fun. Yeah. You know? And I and think people should have conversations about their metaphysic beliefs because the world we're here, we don't know what's going on in the world. We are here with an extremely relative, you know, sense of existence and we might as well have conversations and try to figure out what the hell we were born into. Right. Absolutely. Like it doesn't mean <laughs> that everybody's right and you don't have to be. Um, no. I'm sure you know, I'm wrong about a lot of things. So W.E.B. Du Bois coined the term the sociological oh. imagination, which I love Du Bois, dude. That was another great reading. Absolutely. And the idea here is that you sort of enter every topic, every conversation with the possibility that you might be wrong and maybe you have something to learn. Ooh, uh, I like that. I, I subscribe to that greatly. I love listening and, and hearing people out. I mean, I have more patience for people like Lou than others because Lou will always talk to me. Like we can always have a back and forth and, you know, yeah. we can get heated with each other sometimes, but you know, obviously there, there's sometimes when you talk to somebody and it's hard to have the sociological imagination because you realize that they are so completely dead set on everything they believe that there is no way the conversation would go anywhere, even if you tried. Um, but, you know, I think that between the two of us, just knowing each other so well, we've really been able to uh, get used to this. We would, when we were younger, just stay up for hours because we shared a bedroom uh, yeah. just talking about different things. And yeah. asking questions. And it's like, it's kind of cool that now all these years later, we've stayed oh, yeah. so close and are able to have this podcast together where I we agree. get into some wild concepts. <laughs> I agree, man. Now, and, usually and, those would end up with you being like, okay, it's 
four o'clock in the morning. I need to sleep. And I'm like, but we haven't figured out the truth of the universe yet. And Lou, we are an hour and 39 minutes into this podcast yeah. recording. I was going to and... say, but now we have external time devices to keep me hand- honed in. So let's wrap it up. All right. Well, we can't yet because first I got to know who gets your character points. Oh yeah, that's right. I was giving two to Dipper and actually I was giving one to the hunky guys that Mabel dreamed up for the Sarkin okay, at the end. Xyler and Kraz together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because come on, that, that was, first of all, they were just born into the real world as a result of this experience, which is awesome. What a cool origin story. And then yeah. you come out here with some sick philosophy that gave us a great conversation. I got to give you points for that. Also, everyone in this, in this episode was insane. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I, I have to agree with Dipper. At the end of the day, he was right, I think. And he was able to get out of that situation pretty smoothly. And yeah. I give a point to Mabel because this is Mabel land. This is her episode. This is her world. And right. you know what? She maybe didn't make good choices, but I love Mabel land. And I love... Uh, being able to see this manifestation of her imagination in such a cool and colorful way. I mean, she arguably created two sentient human beings today too. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that she did. Uh, I will also now get into the ciphers for this week as I stall and slowly pull them up. Do it. Uh, I'm going to go put socks on while you do that. Please continue. I can hear great. you. Great. Uh, I wonder what socks Lou is pulling on. Think about that. Uh, so we have one that decodes to when one gets trapped inside the past, dreams can turn to nightmares fast. Ooh. Oh, I, I heard Lou go, ooh, from the other room. I, I Don't see, know if you heard I like that. that. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, that was I, I for for those who are wondering, I have these socks that say uh dragons and wizards and shit. And those are the ones that I'm putting on. Man, you know what? I am not going to censor that just because it would lose the effect if Isn't I cool? if people didn't know exactly what was on the socks. Again, <laughs> at this point, I don't think anything needs to be censored anyway, but gone this far. <laughs> True. Uh, we have Kraz and, Z- and Zyler. Wait. Have I had... Okay, no. I, okay, I just usually say their names the other way and it threw me off. Uh... Kraz and Zyler went on to run the legal department at a major children's television network. That's awesome! I wonder if that's a joke, like a reference to something. Oh, I guess so. But, I mean, me? Hey, they have a background in philosophy. You know, everybody talks like mad about uh, philosophers not being able to do anything with their degree. But I'd just like to point out that every philosophy major that I've ever met ends up doing something awesome. Because yeah. most people really love having somebody with the skills within human communication. Uh, people said that sociology degree, same thing. It's a social science degree. And I work directly in behavioral health in the, on the research level. So uh, also not true. Bingo. Uh, last one, Dippy Fresh was huh. a uh, cypher that was on one of the fences. Uh, so fun stuff. Another fun one. Um Next up is going to be part three. Again, the plans to cover part three and four separately, because if we don't, it could end up being a three-hour podcast or worse. Oh, wait, uh, was there a three and four? The last I looked at my website, there were only three. I guess Well, right. the next one is it's technically a 42-minute episode that has been split into on Disney+. Plus. So it's up to you. If you want to go for a super episode to finish our show, we could just do it all together. What do you think? Let's do that because... Yeah, because... Yeah, let's do just episode... Season... Yeah, let's do episode... Yeah, because it's just episode 20. That should be the end. 
we'll I mean, that. again, it is split up to 20 and 21 on Disney Plus, so we could do it either way. I, I don't have it on Disney Plus. <laughs> Aha! All right, everybody. Super episode coming up. <laughs> I hope that you uh, have enjoyed this so far because that's what we're doing. Uh, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do beyond the show after that. So make sure to listen up. How did they break it into two? Um, Probably so that it was two more manageable episodes. I mean, There's... it even got its own name for the 21st episode of the series by doing that. So Really? I'm Again, like, I'm okay we... putting them together. Well, I, the the version that I have, which I absolutely got through, totally legit means, uh, <laughs> it, it it it's just a continuous episode. I I don't even know where I would break off. That was how it aired originally. Um, I I'll t- listen. Y- you watch that. your illegal stuff, and I'll tell you how it actually hey, showed up I when I watched. It was legitimate. To... I said yeah. it was legitimate. I know you did. I I am looking forward to watching both on Disney Plus legally, and then I will tell you. Uh, <laughs> how uh how they did it in you know the the spiffy way all right everybody we've been (laughs) here far enough this podcast is brought to you by the brazilian dragon podcast (laughs) network you can listen to us there as well as other podcasts with shows and movies you can find us on youtube just a brother's cartoon theater uh links in the description for social media and the discord if you are here this far you should already be in the discord what are you doing and Look, five-star iTunes reviews, they may not help that much longer, but if this show is going to have more longevity past us, then please leave them. Uh, unless you take objection to the things that Lou says, then we don't want to hear from you. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Tessa Scarborough for the cover art. We will see you next week. Happy sleuthing. Peace, everybody. And I mean it. Peace. Peace.